Welcome back, everybody, to the Heavy Branches Podcast. We're excited to be back on here with you. Tanner, how's your week been, man? Oh, my week has been extremely busy. Possibly the busiest week of my life. Um, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, not, no, no jokes intended. Uh, but I've had the great opportunity to preach uh, on Sunday. I got to preach Tuesday, and then I get to preach again Sunday, two sermons in the morning and a sermon Sunday night. So it's been a wonderful week of writing sermons. They're working you like a dog. <laughs> hey, that's all right. That's all right. How's your week been? Hey, man, it was a great week. Um, you mentioned you preached on, what was it, Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Tanner preached on Tuesday. I preached on Monday night. Uh, we were a part of a revival together at the Antioch Church of Christ, which is like... It's over in Corinth, Kentucky, about 30 minutes, from, 30 minutes from my house, which it was the first revival that both me and Tanner have ever been a part of. So it was just a super cool opportunity um, to preach a revival together and something that I hope we get to do more often because I know that I thoroughly enjoyed it. And from talking to you some, I, I know you had a great time with it too. Um, yeah, we got the chance to preach a revival with some of our hometown boys, hometown friends, and, and the minister that we grew up who was basically our youth minister for a, a lot of time, for a long period of time. And uh, so that was really cool to be able to have that opportunity to do the revival with everybody. The cool thing about it was, is it was five nights. So it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. Now on, so there was, there was five different preachers and Tanner mentioned one of them, what used to be our youth minister, his name's Scotty. Um, and he has been kind of compared to like a, a Paul to where we are all Timothy's because the four other guys who preached other than Scotty all were in his youth group at one point. So me, it was me and Tanner and then our friend Dawson, who's a year older than us. And then our other friend Gage, who's a year under us. So we all grew up at the Sherman church of Christ and Scotty was our youth minister. So it was cool. It was really cool, a really unique opportunity to preach a revival with him and with all those other guys. Yeah, was speaking, awesome. speaking of Gage, Oh, we, yeah. we we first of all owe him an apology, <laughs> so Gage, sorry. And second of all, we owe him a shout-out, because last week we went through and explained to you our title uh, of the podcast, Heavy Branches, and we gave him no credit whatsoever, <laughs> and he deserved it because he was a big help um, with the title, Heavy Branches. It was uh, his imagination that uh, after we had talked about the scripture that came out, he, his imagination brought that uh, name out. and then, he's, he's one of the creative ones of the group. <laughs> Me and Tanner are not. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then uh, also he helped design our, our logo this past week, which ended up being uh, exactly what we were looking for. So shout out to Gage uh, for that. Uh, and again, sorry for not shouting you out last week. He preached an awesome sermon Wednesday night too. Yes. So yes. We'll, we'll just keep bragging on him. He did great. So uh, there's some things that are coming up that uh, we wanted to let you know. We'll have a little section here in our podcast kind of just to remind you guys to mark your calendars for some events, church events that might be coming up. Uh, and Jacob had one to share. Uh, one of them is going to be, I think they're calling it the refuel event at the Church of Christ at Grissom um, up in, do you know what part of Indiana Grissom is in? Uh, no. <laughs> I know it. I know it's pretty close to where the Summit Theological Seminary is. Um, I, Peru, Indiana. Peru, is, that's right. That's is, not, yeah. yeah, that sounds right. Um, but you can find it on Facebook. Um, if you look up Wade Allen, he's the, the preacher there. 
Um, and me and Tanner both know Wade personally. Wade's a great guy. And um, I don't know about Tanner. I'm going to try to go. It's on October 27th through 29th. I actually think I'm preaching at a church up in Indiana, not too far from there on that Sunday. So I won't really be oh, there wow. the last day, but I'll be there for Friday and Saturday. And it's just a refuel um, to gather together for fellowship. I think there's going to be worship and preaching as well. So it'll, it'll be a, a great time, and I'm really looking forward to it. So um, was there any other events coming up that you wanted to mention? Uh, nothing directly down the pipeline, nothing coming up real quick. But, yeah, if you if you find yourself with a little bit of time as before the year ends and you want to uh, use that time to, you know, rejuvenate yourself for, for the Lord, uh, that might be something to, to mark down and consider uh, going to. And you can ask Jacob or contact us if you need more information on it. Um, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, again, our name is Heavy Branches, and I just want to remind you all of the verse that that comes from, John fifteen eight, and I'll read again, John fifteen eight. it says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And our goal here is always to learn how to be better fruit bearers and apply that to our lives. Um, and for the, that purpose, or it, we apply it to our lives for the purpose of proving that we are disciples of Jesus. And, um, you know, we bear fruit by putting on Christ-like character. We bear th- fruit through righteous living and deeds of kindness. We bear fruit by making disciples and by offering praise to God. And we talked about that more in in the intro to the podcast. If you haven't gotten the opportunity to check that out, go check it out after after this or before you finish the rest of this, whatever your preference is. But um, I think uh, we are getting ready here to hop into Luke. Um, But there's a couple things that I wanted to say before we actually hop into the chap- uh, the first chapter of Luke. And that was that we need to keep in mind that as we begin our discussions in Luke, that, s- number one, Luke has some really long chapters. <laughs> What's I'm, it, like 80 verses or 80 something? 80 verses in the first chapter, which is wild. It's some of the longest chapters in the Bible. And we're not going to sit here and read all 80 verses. We are going to try and hit some high points that are are either interesting, are beneficial, and most importantly, that help us to bear fruit better for Jesus. And um, the other thing is that we'll be... The other thing is that we're going to strive to for these points to be in context... I know one of our favorite sayings is context is key. So maintaining context, we're not just going to pull a scripture out and try and make a a doctrine out of it. It's going to be something that we talk about within the context of of the chapter, within the context of the book as a whole, within the context of the Bible. Um, We don't want to be false teachers here. So... (laughs) Uh, but as I said before, Luke chapter 1, 80 verses, um, we encourage you to be reading, read before, read during, read after, uh, however you want to do it, uh, but be reading these chapters as we go through them. 
Um, and I'll let you start us off with the beginning of the chapter. All right. Um, so we're not going to cover every little detail that's in Luke um, in, the, in the first chapter this week, but it has a lot of information in it. So we learned some about uh, the birth of John the Baptist, how it was foretold, and then uh, the birth of Jesus, uh, his cousin, is also foretold. And then it gets into the birth of John and Mar- Mary and Elizabeth, uh, lots of different things to cover. But one verse that I wanted to, to point out and maybe discuss with a little bit is a, a point I wanted to see from verse 4, which I believe we might have talked about it very briefly on the intro episode, but I wanted to bring it back out. So Luke chapter 1, verse 4 says, So that you might know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. So when I read this verse, I was reflecting on it this week, and it, it it's, brings up this concept of the relationship between faith and reason, or um, faith and certainty. And I think Satan has done a great deal of confusing words in the church. And I think he's Absolutely. done that with the word love, uh, biblical love, and what the world says is love is two completely different things. And maybe we'll address that another time. But another word he's done that with is faith. I think he's completely confused our understanding of faith. Um, it's just like the world defines faith in a way that the Bible is foreign to. We, we say things like believing is seeing. <laughs> um, but Webster's ninth New Collegiate Edition says that faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. The American Heritage 4th Edition says that faith is belief that does not rest on logical proof or material evidence. The Oxford Illustrated American Dictionary says faith is a firm belief, especially without logical proof. Just so our listeners know, the Oxford Dictionary is the definition that you'll get if you look up a definition on Google. No, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of how the world defines faith. The world separates completely faith and knowledge or evidence or reason, whatever word you want to use. Their view of faith is, okay, if you're going to have faith, it's just a complete blind shot in the dark. There's nothing to really base it on. It's just you believe in spite of the evidence rather than believing because of the evidence. So what does Jesus say about faith? Well, in John chapter 20... Uh, talking to Thomas when Jesus, he was in his resurrected body, um, and he had appeared to the disciples. And remember, Thomas didn't believe until he wanted to stick his hand inside. Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen, yet they believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So you can believe without seeing. That's biblical faith. That's what Jesus said, right? Um, We believe because of evidence. We have faith because of evidence, not in spite of it. And in fact, Jesus makes this very same point again in Matthew chapter 11, which I want to read for you. Let me get my Bible here. Matthew chapter 11, uh, here's verse 2 through 5. Now when John in prison, this is John the Baptist, now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? 
So John the Baptist is wanting to know, is Jesus really the Messiah? So here's Jesus' answer in verses 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So this matter of a question of faith comes up. John the Baptist is in his mind saying, can I really place my faith in Jesus to be the Messiah? Or is he really the one we've been expecting? And what does Jesus say to his disciples to to prove to John he is the Messiah? It's not, well, you just got to believe. No, it's look at all this evidence. Look Look at all the different miracles that have happened. Look at this proof. Because you see, faith always rests on proof. We don't have a faith that is uncertain. We don't have a faith that is grounded in wishful thinking or, or good hopes. We have a faith that is grounded in, in real credible evidence. Some of those proofs that we have as Christians today are, number one, you know, we talked last week about this verse 4, about how it's, it's supposed to strengthen the faith of believers so that we have confidence, so that we have the exact truth. And we know we have, have the exact truth because these are eyewitness accounts of faithful people to God's Word. And not only that, but this kind of takes us into the next point I wanted to make, uh, starting in verse verses 12 through 17, where we get into that section where it's talking about uh, John the Baptist, uh, it's, it's prophesying John the Baptist's birth, and you know, we can look at all these different verses throughout the chapter, verse 26, verse 27, verse 32, verses 67 through 80. All of these things are fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. You know, that in itself is enough evidence to know that what we're looking at is true. And you know what's, what's crazy, what's awesome, is that Luke... We talked about this last week. Luke is the author to the Gentiles. He was a Gentile writing to Gentiles. And so it was not Luke's goal in order to write out things that would talk about fulfilling prophecy in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament was the law of the of the Jews. Luke and the Gentiles he's writing to, they don't they don't really care about the law, you know, and you know, Matthew, he he would he wanted to point out the fulfillment of prophecy to prove that Jesus was the Messiah in the book in in his gospel. But Luke, that wasn't his goal. But because Luke is so exact about the truth, because he is laying out for us the the what we can be certain in, as he's doing so, we see the fulfillment of prophecy. We see in the true life of Jesus in the, and also the life of John the Baptist here that prophecies of the Old Testament are being fulfilled, and we can have so much confidence in that. So when you talk about this idea of Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled, it, it reminds me of an old illustration that I don't remember. I don't know if Scotty taught this to us. I feel like I learned it sometime in youth group or in Sunday school. Um, but it's talking about just what what are the statistical probability and what is the, the chances that Jesus really did fulfill all of this prophecy 
<clears throat> and so I was I was looking it up a little bit before uh, the show started. And I'm not going to give all the details, but there were some researchers at a university, and they conducted this study, and they looked at eight different prophecies from the Old Testament that were specifically about Jesus. Now, there are a lot more than just eight in the Old Testament. Eight, there's more than eight prophecies, but for this study, they were only looking at eight. And when they, they did all the work and the research, they figured out that if eight of these prophecies, just eight, were fulfilled by Jesus, all eight of them, that the statistical probability of that is one in 10 to the 17th power. <laughs> so it's been a while since me and Tanner have studied any math. You don't do that at Bible college. But that would be the number of 10 to the 17th power is you're going to write the number one, and then you're going to write 17 zeros. So I don't know how many billions, or it's probably more than billion. I don't know what the right word even is. But that's a high number, and it's so high they illustrated it this way. If you were to take the state of Texas, the entire state, and fill it up with little silver coins, like quarters, two feet deep, so across the whole state of Texas, you're, you're standing two foot deep in quarters, and you were to mark just one single quarter, you were to blindfold a guy, send him out into Texas and say, all right, you have one chance to find the marked quarter that's somewhere through the whole state, and he's standing two foot deep in those quarters, it's the same statistical chance as that guy with one chance has to find that quarter. That, that probability is the same probability that Jesus fulfilled eight of the prophecies in the Old Testament written about him. Remember, that's not even all of them. That's not even most of them, of mm -hmm. the prophecies. I don't remember how many exactly there are, but it's a lot more than eight. So when we talk about being certain in your faith and that our faith rests on very reasonable evidence that God really is real and he is the creator and that Jesus really is his son, there is, there is some legitimate evidence here that needs to, be, needs to be brought up. As Satan tries to confuse us that faith is just wishful thinking or not grounded in anything, the, the, the idea of biblical faith is very much the opposite of that. That's so true, and on this idea of certainty, um, I find it really interesting that Luke talks about that in verse 4, but then when we get to verse 18, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that, Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? So Zacharias has just heard this prophecy about his son being born, right? about John, John the Baptist being born. And he asks, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. But then two, two verses later down the line, uh, the angel Gabriel is speaking back to him, and he says, And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day. So it's interesting that Luke's goal in writing this is knowing the exact truth he wrote so that we may have certainty. And then John's dad is asking about how, how he can be certain. And what, does, what happens to him? He's, his mouth is shut. But then we find later in the same chapter, when this all is fulfilled, when John is born... And, and Zacharias says his name is John, we find in verses um, 57 and 64, 57, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son, 
as God said, she gave birth to a son. And then, and at once, verse 64, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise to God. As God said, when, when all of these things were fulfilled, as the angel said it, they would be, as God said, uh, his tongue was loosed and he was able to talk again and rejoice. And I just had to think about, number one, when God says it, it's going to happen. And we can be certain of it. But number two, sometimes we talk too much. <laughs> I know that I'm guilty of it. Sometimes we talk too much and ask too many questions or the wrong questions. That's definitely the bigger problem, asking the wrong questions. And sometimes we need to just be silent. We need to be faithful and trusting. And we need to let God work in us, through us, and around us. And this is a, just a great example of why. Yeah, that, that, re that relationship between faith and having the answers, I guess, is, is one way to put it, is interesting because when it comes to why we place our faith in Jesus or why we believe that there is a God, we have a lot of evidence. But then throughout our Christian lives, there are times where we're, we're wondering to ourselves, okay, well, what does God want me to do in this situation or... or what job does he want me to take or um, what person does he want me to try to be friends with? What, what ministry should I take? What, how, how should I serve in my church? We don't always have the exact answers to every single thing in life. If we did, there would leave no room to trust in God um, or, or to ha it, it wouldn't really even be faith because a part of faith is, is believing that there is a God who is higher than we are. And he is the creator. We are the created. So we're not going to have the answers to everything. But even though we have reason to place our faith in him, he doesn't give us the answer to everything. Yeah, we have we have facts. We have a foundation. Um, and, you know, we can get into this another day, but the core foundation is the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and we have that to put our faith on. But there are questions that we're going to have that we will not know. Um, and it's not because our faith is faulty by any means. It's just because there's a lot of things that we aren't ready to hear or don't, we aren't able to really understand um, God things um, that uh, are beyond us, that are of him only, if you want to put it that way. Um, so looking back at Luke, um, you know, we were, we were, we touched on John the Baptist, his, we keep calling him John the Baptist. He isn't John the Baptist quite yet. He'll get there. He's just being conceived at this moment in the, in the chapter. But you had mentioned earlier something about the prophecy of, uh, John's birth. Oh, yeah. Um, there, there was a few things I wanted to talk about there. Um, if, you're, if you're following along at all, some of these are going to be from verse 13 through verse 17. But I found a, f a few interesting things about that. Um, so the angel Gabriel comes and is, is speaking to Zacharias about his son, John. And regarding John, the angel says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. While I was reflecting on this this week, I had a few different thoughts about it. Um, 
one, one thought I had was I'm not a father and I, I won't be anytime soon, but it would, pro- it would be really cool to think of, okay, I'm having a son and God has sent an angel to talk to me about my son. And he, this is what he's saying about him. Many is going to rejoice at his birth and he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. That, that would be a pretty cool thing to have someone say about your son. And another another thought, and I don't know if we'll spend too much time, too much time getting into this. This, not everyone may like me for this one, but I, I couldn't help but notice in verse fifteen, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So, is there a connection between us being great in the sight of the Lord and abstaining from drinking wine and liquor? Well, that's definitely something to really think about uh, for anybody that is um, active in the thought that social drink- drinking is okay or really any kind of consumption of alcohol. Um, that's definitely a key thing to consider, uh, definitely a key verse to look at. Uh, regarding this thing of childbirth, you know, it's kind of the, the core topic of the chapter. I could not pass up the opportunity to just mention, and I'm sure we'll talk about this another time, but from the conception of a child onward, it is a tremendous blessing. And I don't have any children yet. I'm basing this strictly off the Bible. Hey, man, you'll be buried next month. It might not be too far. Hey, out. hey, 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 hey. Uh, <laughs> maybe. We'll get there when we get there. But from the time of conception onward, and this is straight Bible, it is a tremendous blessing. Absolutely. Um, and should always be believed as such. And we find examples of that in verse 24 and 25. With, uh, with Elizabeth, John's mother, and then also Mary in verse 48 as she recognizes the blessing that God has, has given her with this blessing of life. It is life. Uh, and God is the giver of it, you know. Um, we read in verse 35, it says, The angel answered and said to her, This is when when." Gabriel is talking to Mary. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. God not only is the creator of life, but it is not beyond him. He is so very capable of placing life, placing a part of himself because that's really what's happening here is he's placing one of the three persons of himself within Mary to be born a man. And um, so the son of God within the womb of a virgin, you know, God is is beyond capable because he is life. That's another prophecy too, by the way, Jesus being born of a virgin. That doesn't happen too often. <laughs> no, it does not. No, it does not. Um, before we move too far beyond this further into this idea of of children childbirth because we've got a couple more things that we want to mention regarding that um i just i i couldn't go without i guess responding to a video that i saw not too long ago there was a video where there was a claim 
that we should not be using the name of Jesus. Really? And it really threw me off, and I think... Was it, was it we as Christians, or we as just people in the world? Do you know? It was, a, it was well, he, he claimed to be a Christian, but he, he, was, he was coming from the stance of, of Christianity. Okay, so his point was people, Christians shouldn't be using the name of Jesus. Yes, because okay. he felt that it was disrespectful and doesn't actually refer to God. And I, not only am I responding to that, but I want to make sure that we know that the wonderful name of Jesus is not just a name given by Mary. The name is God-ordained. It is God-given. And we see that in verse 31. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. This isn't just a random name that Mary came up with. God said, you will name him Jesus. And what we, you've probably heard this before, but what we would consider, what we should consider in that is what that name means. Because Jesus means God is salvation. Mm. And what has Jesus come to do? Seek and save the lost. And so I, I couldn't pass that verse up so, and the emphasis without saying the name of Jesus is wonderful and we should call him Jesus. So you're really telling me that the name Jesus wasn't just a name on a list that Mary had written down since she was a little girl of, of boy name ideas? No, <laughs> no. Definitely not according to Scripture. Okay. <laughs> if, that, if that's your conviction. Uh, but as we proceed further, you know, talking about this thing of childbirth, um, f- you know, we kind of are getting into family, uh, child rearing, as uh, the older people like to say. <laughs> uh, the wiser. <laughs> the wiser people like to say. Um, but we get into this thing of we when we think about bearing fruit and we think about child rearing we think about if we should be thinking about bearing fruit making disciples of our children right and when you look at verse 42 it says and she cried out with a loud voice and said Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, when she said that, this is this goes all the way back to Genesis, when God says, "Be fruitful and multiply." Okay, that that is the the insight or the intention of that statement is bearing fruit, as in being fruitful by having children. But the something deeper that we can think about is our children we should be they should be like first our first disciples um and our family once we become parents our family is our is our primary mission field right is yeah that what you're saying? yeah that is that is our first mission field and then from there we impact the church we impact the people around us and so our children should be fruit of our marriages um disciples of jesus of our own flesh and blood, and you know that's super important for the, us. The to kingdom, get. Can, the kingdom can really be changed on the on the back of parents and even grandparents that are faithful to disciple their kids. 
I think of um, Timothy as an example, one of Paul's disciples. If you remember, I, I, I can't remember if it's First or Second Timothy in which chapter, but Paul is, is writing the, those letters to Timothy, and he mentions Timothy's faith that brought him salvation. He is known from the time he was young from his mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And so would we have Timothy if it wasn't for Lois and Eunice passing on their faith and discipling him? We always we always call people like when churches send out people and they become preachers or whatever. We always call them Timothys because it's like this idea of Paul training up Timothy and then sending yeah. him out. But really, we could call them Timothys in that same light. But regarding the families that raised those those these young men and women, Paul Paul or, did a yeah. lot to train and disciple Timothy. But if it hadn't been for Timothy Timothy's mom and grandmother instilling that faith in him from the time he was young, he might have never gotten, Paul might have never gotten the chance to work with Timothy. Yeah, yeah. So we need to be, the point is we need to be raising disciples. Um, Absolutely. Not just children. We need to be raising disciples. And, um, you know, I'll say again, I don't have any children yet, but I'm learning from this. And this is something, as you mentioned, I'm getting married in a month. You know, this is a big deal for me uh, and will be for you, too, at some point. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> so, Mary, you know, we were talking, we're talking about the fruit of the womb of your womb is what the verse says. And it, it doesn't surprise us so much that Elizabeth talks so fondly of God. But what might be a little surprising in our culture today is Mary. Mm. And we're in this idea of raising our children as disciples of Christ, disciples of Jesus. And honestly, Mary's faith should blow all, all of us away. And it should make us think. Because as we read specifically verses 46 through 56, those 10 verses... Um, you see this depth of understanding from a, a young woman that you would not see even partially regularly today. I mean, the way that she talks about God and the faith that you can see in these 10 verses, and I can say this because... I was a child that couldn't do this, but the way she talks is nothing like what I was. And um, so, how how about how old do you think Mary was here? I mean, from what we've studied and from what we've learned, she was, you know, culturally from their culture, she was probably between the ages of twelve and and sixteen. But I mean, you don't even see people up to the age of 18 or 20 that have faith like she does. Yeah. And so I, I th think it's important for us to, I, you know, we are in the world and not of the world. And, you know, we take that a lot of different ways, but especially with our children, I mean, we have got to expect more from our children in the right things. Because me and you, you know, 
we were in some advanced classes in school and like in high school in high school yeah. and we were you know we did our thing sports wise or what whatever and you know in all of those things there was a certain level that we were supposed to meet but the level that we were supposed to meet academically or athletically or whatever it didn't seem that same sense of urgency or expectation was not there for things of faith. And I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers necessarily at my, at my family for this. I'm just recognizing a culture change because it's not just my family that that's happened. Yeah. You can see it in everybody's family. So do you think it's possible that the church today, and we're, I mean, we're talking about ourselves when we say this, it's not pointing fingers. It's also us. Do you think we're not holding our teenagers to a high enough standard in regards of Bible knowledge and not just Bible knowledge, but just where they're at in their faith with the Lord. Yeah. I mean, I really think as Christians, we need to change or revert back to a, a culture like the early church where we expect more from, um, from our, from our children um, from the future generation, and again, in the right places, in places of faith, in things of faith. Um, and I think, you know, we could go all kinds of places with this, but um, just one thing that you can look at is what are, are we actually teaching the truth in low, like in the children's church, in children's Sunday school classes, or are we just telling Bible tales? Do we and, spend more time teaching them the truth of God's Word, or do we spend more time uh, filling out coloring pages of Noah's Ark? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you could, like I said, you could go a lot of places with this. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that we should expect more from children in general, um, you know, but maybe even refocus what we where we expect them to excel to the right things things of faith i think it almost seems like sometimes we're scared to push them intellectually um, when it comes to learning more about the, the scripture or learning more about god i mean you and i both have experience in youth ministry uh, you you have more than me but we we both have multiple years of youth ministry experience and when i think about some of the lessons i taught whether it was to middle and high school, whether it was to elementary school, I think I probably could have pushed them a little harder than what I did. I think about when we were in high school together, um, we had pre-calculus, you had calculus. Uh, we, <laughs> we were being pushed really hard in high school and had to study long hours to really figure things out. But I think in the church we get the fear of, if I can't fully explain this in a 30 minute lesson on Sunday morning, I, I, we don't need to go that deep. Yeah, and we don't, I, this isn't a blaming thing at all, but we as a church should think about the fact that the expectations, the high expectations that we have for children right now are more, more for a worldly way of life than a life of faith in God. Mm, yeah, that's good. Um, and, you know, that's just not what God wants from us. It reminds me of a story your grandpa told us in class one day. For those of you who don't know, Tanner's grandpa, uh, Terry Peer, teaches at Louisville Bible College where me and Tanner went. 
and we were having a class on restoration history. So we were learning some about the history of the restoration movement, which if you're not familiar with that term is a term used to describe the Christian churches and churches of Christ, um, which Tanner and I are, are part of and serve in. But anyways, back in the earlier stages of the movement, other denominations would recognize that they would call us the term that your grandfather used was people of the book, mm. meaning the Bible. Mm. And I don't know if that was one of the classes you had with me, with him, or if that was a class that you weren't in. But I remember when he said that, other other denominations looked at people in the Restoration Movement of people of the book, people of the Bible, and that meant that we really knew our scripture. Not just the adults, the kids too. Yeah. And I think that's something that's been lost in our movement, and I would love to see that brought back. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and it's all from a point of focus, where... What are we really focused on? Um, we all want the next generation to succeed in life, but what are we considering success? Are we considering success them living a, a healthy, peaceful life in a worldly sense? Or are we considering success um, in, the, in the way God wants us to live our life? Mm. So uh, with that in mind, um, it, that kind of leads me into this next thought of, of about Jesus being Lord. Um, he is Lord. He's always been Lord from the very beginning, uh, from before creation. He's going to always be Lord. And, uh, you know, he's Lord of every person, whether they choose to make him their Lord or not and live following him. He is Lord, and there will I, come a day where every knee will bow, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I find it very interesting that Elizabeth, you know, we're talking about the mothers here, Mary, Mary before, now we're talking about Elizabeth. Elizabeth, even before Jesus is born, she's already recognizing him as Lord because he is Lord, he always has been. Uh, and we see that in verse 43, which says, And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? So uh, this, there's this moment where Elizabeth is, or Mary comes and visits Elizabeth. And when Mary comes in, uh, John, who is, you know, in the womb, jumps with joy. Uh, and, and Mary, or Elizabeth, recognizes Mary is... The, going to be the mother of of Jesus, her Lord, and He's already Lord, even though He hasn't been born yeah. yet. Um, the last thing that we want to mention before we wrap up this first, I guess, full podcast, uh, first actual episode. The, the intro was pretty short, and so yeah, first episode. Uh, the last thing we want to mention is. A couple of verses I find very impactful and important to our mission uh, here on the podcast. And that is, again, we're trying to grow in our ability to bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples, Jesus' disciples. And it's very interesting what uh, we see Zacharias say. He is prophesying and we see in verse... 74 and 75 the scriptures say to grant us that we being rescued from the band of our enemies might serve with serve him without fear 
in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Being rescued by Jesus, being rescued by God, is actually what gives us the ability to serve. Mm, I like that. Before Christ, we're in our sin. And that sin taints everything that we do because of, of the, the corruption that it, it puts upon us. And, but in Jesus, we are restored. We are born again. We are made new. Um, and because of that, we are able to serve God. And so it's, this is a, a very contrary belief in today's time. But being restored and rescued by Jesus doesn't mean that we can go on and just do as we please and keep on sinning, as Paul would say later in his letters. But as we see here, it gives us the ability to then, in holiness and righteousness, serve him. And um, I, I think that's really important. Life post-rescue does not look the same. When we become a new creation in Christ, it's not just that we're new in the sense of we've been cleansed and forgiven of our sins. We have, but being a new creation in Christ also gives us a new purpose for our life, and a new a new goal and a new ambition, and that is to serve Him and to bear fruit for the Lord. And it gives us the very ability to live in holiness, righteousness, bearing fruit, and as we will say often, prove to be His disciples. Absolutely. Do you have anything else before we wrap up? Man, I think we, we covered most of chapter one, all that we could in the time. You know, no one wants to listen to a five-hour podcast, so I think we're going to try to cut this off around an hour, and we might go a little over, but no, I think that we covered it well. I hope we covered it well, and hopefully somebody got something out of this if people listen. So. Absolutely. Thanks for talking with me. Hey, man. It's a it pleasure. Was, it was enjoyable. Uh, and thank you all for listening. And uh, leave a like if you enjoyed it, comment or email us if you have something to say. Don't forget uh, to uh, be here each week with us. Don't forget to be reading. Uh, be reading your Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 next week. Next week. So, as I said last week, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Go bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples.